You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Every, every good and perfect gift. That's what I've entitled today with a subline, every good and perfect gift spinning down the road. God is really into gifts. Can you hear me okay? God is really into gifts. And last Sunday, a gift arrived at our house. I think we have a slide there. Uh, meet, yes. Meet, meet the Gertson Christmas present of 2022. That is Lucy. Lucy is nine weeks old today. And I don't want to brag or anything, but we have got her trained already. She, we've taught her how to bite, and, uh, and that has worked well. And uh, she's peeing outside already and inside. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> how is it possible to go pee outside and then come in two minutes later and pee inside. I don't know how that works. <laughs> We're figuring it out. But we have also, she's teaching us about snuggling. And uh, that's going really, really well. And so uh, it's been a happy week. few bags under the eyes right now. It is indeed like having a child or an infant at home again. And so, but we are loving Lucy. We, we lost our dog, Jack. Uh, five years ago, he died, and so we waited and pull, almost pulled the trigger a couple times, but uh, now is the right time, so we are excited at our home. But God is into gifts, um, and not just a little bit. He's really into gifts. Um, scripture's filled, actually. Uh, Ephesians 2, uh, for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. Uh, it's not a work of our own. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Uh, the title of the message, James chapter 1 and verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, given by the Father of lights. Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I like what the Proverbs says in chapter 18. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. The words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, so if you who are sinful know how to give your children good gifts, how much more does your Father in heaven, who is perfect, know how to give great gifts to his children? When Jesus was born, I'm sure we're going to read it on December the 24th, that the Magi came presenting gifts of royalty to this baby, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He received gifts of royalty. I actually rabbit trailed there for a minute and thought, whatever happened to those gifts? You know, you don't really read anything more about Scripture, and so I kind of started to dig into that a little bit because I thought, you know, 
Mary's like doing the finances when Jesus is two or three, and it's like, man, Joseph, you know, we don't really have, you know, should I go to the market with some myrrh, you know? <laughs> um, but probably it says right after uh, this passage of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they had to flee, remember, to Egypt, and probably that's what funded the trip, were these, were these perfect gifts given at the right time to be able to fulfill the prophecy and the life and the destiny of Jesus. And so that's probably what happened, but we don't know for sure. The gifts of the Spirit, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, words of knowledge, gifts of faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, interpretation, these practical but wonderful gifts of serving, the gift of mercy, the gift of helps, administration, the gifts of exhortation. Ephesians chapter 4. Gifts Christ gave to the church. Who are they? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Are we starting to get the idea? God is into gifts. So if God is a gift giver, what about us? I've quoted before, James Dobson says, what's the greatest gift that a father can give to his children? To love their mother. Gifts. Well, it's Christmas and we're talking about gifts and there's a bike here. So I have to tell, uh, for those of you who are Lifetree OGs, it's just kind of like, you're just going to have to smile and nod because you've heard this before. But uh, for those of you who are new, well, you know, you get to hear my favorite Christmas story as it relates to a gift. So Christine and I were uh, together for our first Christmas together. I was a single dad for a while, and uh, Malia, uh, my, my daughter, was with us, and we were celebrating our first Christmas. And so we bought Malia. She's about six years old. We bought her a bike for Christmas. And as Christmas morning was unfolding, we had had the bike in the back room and so we're opening up all of our guests' uh, gifts, and the tension is building. She has no idea. And then we say to her, Malia, we actually have one special gift for you. And she's like all excited. Go down to your bedroom and see if you can find it. And so she ran down the hallway and closed the door and find it. And then so while she did that, we quickly, I went into the storage area, this back room, and I quickly wheeled out the bike and put it in front of the Christmas tree. And she comes back down the hallway into the living room where the Christmas tree was, obviously not able to find the gift in her bedroom, but there it was by the Christmas tree. She walks into the room and sits down on the couch, so dejected, and says, I can't find it. The couch is facing the Christmas tree. And I looked at Christine, and she looked at me, and then I said to Malia, maybe you should look under the Christmas tree. And she turned her, she turned her face, and she looked right through the frame of the bicycle under the tree that there was no presence left, and she did not see it. She did not see it. And we thought, she just had this look on her face, and I was looking at Christine, and she's looking at me, and we're like, oh, she hates it, or like, what is this? And in this moment, 
it was like the scales fell off of her eyes, and there was the bike. I have a picture of that moment. Those years ago. Can I suggest to us today that sometimes we look right through, we look right past the gift that is seemingly plain in sight, looking for something else? Can I also suggest that even sometimes life's greatest gifts may not feel like a gift at all in the moment? but rather it's only with the benefit of time and perspective are those gifts revealed for what they are. Proverbs chapter 25 in verse 2 says this, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search them out. And I wonder at times that this wonderful Father who we serve, he will take things that bring wonder to me or bring wonder to you. And in those moments of wonder, that's when he reveals himself to us in those moments. For me, I have moments of wonder when I'm on my trusty steed here. Uh, for you, those moments of wonder might be while you're engrossed in a, in a book. They might be when you're standing at the seashore or otherwise but God loves to reveal the mysteries of himself to us when we are seeking him and inviting him into the places that bring us joy and wonder because those are the things that bring him wonder as a father seeing his children experience that. So there's this bike. And uh, I would like to uh, talk about this morning that there are three things that I have learned while riding this bike that I believe that have been gifts that I have received. And I would like to tell you about them and see if uh, you can catch the idea of why they might be gifts for us as well. Uh, the first one is this, and that is, um, well, I will say this, keeping in mind that sometimes we don't recognize them as gifts right away. <laughs> So the first one is that I've started riding uh, in a fairly serious way uh, in the last few years. But when I started, I received a gift that I didn't recognize as a gift at the time that I would call the gift of hills. I would call that building endurance and strength through adversity. Um, Shakespeare said this, uh, sweet are the uses of adversity, which like a toad ugly and venomous, wears yet a precious jewel in his head. <laughs> See a bullfrog. Uh, it's also been said by one philosopher that, and you've heard this before, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Yeah. And so Steve was here last week, and if you were here, he said something that caught my attention. He was talking about the church, and he said this, that we have greatly valued, and, and understandably so, we have greatly valued this idea that we want to make the church a safe place. That's what he had said. And I think that we could say that there's value in that. I think that 
if we were to do an honest evaluation, we've you know maybe missed that sometimes and gotten it some other times. But he said, uh, rather in this season that the church being a safe place, right now is a season for the church to be a strong place. And could I suggest to us that um, we're not going, that's not going to happen without some hills. We are not going to build strength and endurance without encountering some adversity. They go uh, part and parcel with each other. Uh, when, the first time that I started to ride with this group, I think I've told you before, the group, my riding group that we, we call ourselves the Ogres, and uh, we go out on Saturday morning, old guys riding every Saturday, Ogres. <laughs> and, um, and I was just on my second ride or so with this group of men. Uh, we're all in our late 50s and early 60s. And uh, one of the men in the group who is the group leader said, um, come on, guys, we're going up Munn Road. And now, if you're from Victoria, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's a hill like, like almost none other. And so um, I experienced what I can only describe in that moment as a near-death experience. <laughs> and uh, I'm telling you, uh, you're, you're, when you're in the, in the steepness of a hill and everybody's in front of you and you are up last and your thighs are screaming and everything in you is saying, quit, just quit, and, but you don't want to, I mean, you have this kind of this moment of adversity that's taking place. In fact, there's this little meme that I, that, that I saw later on, you know, reels or, you know, those things on social media. It's a little song. And little song, uh, this is like perfect for me and a bike rider. And this is the little song. It goes like this. It says, I'm riding up a hill and I've ran out of breath. And now I'm regretting my life's choices. <laughs> Science takes over when you're riding up a hill. James says this, James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, hills, of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There is a phrase when I read that, it jumped out at me, leapt right off the page. There was the one phrase, and that was, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Eugene Peterson in the message says, don't try to get out of something prematurely. Let it do its work. Another modern translation says this, when your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance. When your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance, which sounds great until you're on the hill. And as much as we would prefer to take the off-ramp to say, God, get me out of this when we're in the midst of our trials, we're in the midst of the hills, we're like, God, give me an off-ramp. Get me out of this. Can't you see what I'm struggling with right now? Jesus, where are you? And he's like, I get that. I get exactly where you're at in this trial. 
I know where you're at on the hill. The words that are coming out of your mouth are the words that came out of my mouth. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. We often stop at that part. We're looking for the off-ramp, but then Jesus added a phrase after that, didn't he? Yet, that word yet, (laughs) yet, not my will, but your will be done. Now, Christine could tell you that uh, there was some stress that would, in those early, uh, in those early weeks that would come on to me on a Saturday morning. I'm like, I'd say to her, I don't know how I'm going to do this today. I don't know how I'm going to make it up those hills today. And Christine, when she was going through a significant challenge, we were, but she was especially going through a significant challenge with one of our sons who won't be, I won't name Benjamin, that he, um, (laughs) she plugged into Mike Bickle. (laughs) And Mike Bickle, through audio tape and through, really discipled her. And she learned that in the midst of trials, she would just start copying down scriptures. And when, the, when she was on the hills and was feeling that way, she would just start to quote scripture. And so she's saying to me, and so I'm just pedaling. I'm, I'm going up the hill. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And you know what? Uh, one time I had to walk my bike. But then it happened. Got to the top of Mun. And then we went up again. And then we went to Mount Doug, and then Bear Mountain, and then Mount Ptolemy, and then endurance, not in the same ride. (laughs) But as the weeks roll by, endurance starts to take place, and the power of endurance starts to kick in. And pretty soon, that intimidation of those hills becomes less. You know why? Because you're building a history of being able to get to the top. And what happens is, is that as we encounter the hills in our lives, as we encounter these challenges, and as we lean on him, and as we cry out to him, and as we, we issue our, our pleas, and we get to the top of the hill, we build this history, and then when the next hill comes along, it says, oh, this is going to be tough, but I've been here before, and you've been here with me, and, and I'm, I'm going up this one too. Nelson Mandela said this, after climbing a great hill, one finds that there are many more hills to climb. My question to us this morning is this, what hills are you facing in your life today, this morning? What are the hills that you are facing in your life? I can tell you it's not easy, it never is, but can I encourage you to let steadfastness have its full effect, the power of endurance. Uh, I'll leave the final word here to Klondike Sam, who roamed around the Yukon in around 1890s. He said this, there's gold in them there hills. The next gift is an interesting one that I've learned on my bike, and that is what I would call the gift of road rage. Cultivating a godly response. You may not know that there is an ongoing battle that is happening in Victoria that is raging, and it is between cyclists and drivers. Both very upset with each other. 
And whenever the ogres go out on a Saturday, I can guarantee you when we go out, four, five, six of us, we are going to get honked at, we are going to get yelled at, and uh, at times, uh, more dangerously so, we will get what we call a brush by. In other words, someone will decide that they don't like the way that we are riding, and instead of kind of swinging out wide, they will brush right by within two or three feet of us. And so what we do is what we have determined, this group of men who is out riding, we yell at them, but we, but we yell things like, bless you. Good morning. This time of the year, Merry Christmas. I would confess that there are elements of passive aggressiveness in our response to them. But I've been thinking to myself, how do we cultivate a godly response in a culture that is full of rage? How do we do that? Uh, there's road rage, for sure, on a Saturday morning. Uh, there's work conflicts. Uh, there's raging at and being enraged by government. In fact, I would only have to say two or three names right now, and I could start to see the, <laughs> the rage start to percolate, but I'm not going to do that. There's family anger. There's marital strife. How is it that we cultivate a godly response when we encounter rage? I was in Thrifty Foods uh, a couple of weeks ago in where we live uh, in View Royal, and we like to call it View Royale, but uh, anyway, uh, in View Royal, coming out of Thrifties, and they had a sale. And Thrifties isn't the cheapest place, but every once in a while, and we like frozen berries, and they had fr boxes of frozen berries, buy one, get one free, that deal. So I'm pretty proud of myself. I got two boxes. And I'm coming out of Thrifties, pretty happy about this, and I've kind of got these two boxes in my hand, not really paying attention, I guess, as I should have. And all I... I should say all I did. What I did was that I, I walked through toward my car, and as I was going, I walked through a handicapped parking spot. And what I didn't quite recognize in the moment was that somebody had tried to pull into that spot. They were a little bit off. And so she pulled back out again and was going to just pull right back in. And right when she was about to pull back in, is here I come with my, you know, with my boxes. And she kind of bursts up at me and kind of honks her horn and says, like, like, what are you doing? And right away, you know, it's like, are we gonna am I going to respond? Am I going to react? And right away, I'm like, like, what's your problem? Kind of give her that sort of thing. And then, and I'm walking this way, and then she's kind of pulling into the spot. And I can see in the back of her car is, is her daughter, who looks to be fairly severely disabled. And I, I just kind of looked at her, and it's just like, and she was enraged. And she looked at me, you know, she kind of leaned across and just started to, and I won't, just started to finger me and just like yell at me. And, and I was just so caught off guard. And I kept walking, you know, the four or five spots down to my car. And this is what happens when, when that happens, is that we start looking for somebody. Did you see what just happened to me? Like, did you see the way that I just got violated and this lady comes walking and she's like, wow, what's that lady's problem? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and, and right away, right? That's, that's our immediate reaction, right? Something like that happens, and we're looking for somebody to support our position. So I get in my car, and I'm thinking, oh, how do I respond to this, you know? And I'm still a bit offended. And I have to say that 
I think I blew it. I think what I did was that I gave her a godly response that was actually a passive-aggressive response. And, and what I did was I pulled my car out, and there, there she was still in the car, and she kind of looked at me. She had this pained look, and I don't know whether it was anger still or whether it was what it was, but I attempted to do something, and I'm like, ugh. I just looked at her, pulled over, and I just kind of did this, right? Like, bless you. And, and in the moment, it was, like, it was this attempt to do something, but I realized it was really, it was kind of a, more of a passive-aggressive response. And then I drove off. Rather than, I think, this opportunity to come when we, when we encounter rage, to come at it in the opposite spirit. By, and by doing so, I think that we invite the Holy Spirit to move through us. Not easy to get right in the moment, but uh, this, this place between reacting and responding. And uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, and, you know, these are hard words, right? You know, they're good on Sunday. Uh, but I tell you, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Matthew chapter 5. Or is it better to go to Psalm 35? which seems to be, in the moment, quite a bit better. David speaking, fight my enemies, Lord. Attack my attackers. Shield me. Aim your spear at everyone who hunts me down, but promise to save me. And then here it comes in verse 6. This is my favorite verse. Make them run in the dark on a slippery road as your angel chases them. As they're coming down, as they're coming down Mun Road, may it be slushy, <laughs> and may the snowplow be chasing them down the hill. You see, it's easy, it's easy to agree with Matthew five on Sunday, but we live Psalm thirty-five on Monday. But there is this idea of coming in the opposite spirit, and I think this is what it releases when we do it, when we, when, when we can do that in the moment, when we respond rather than reacting, I think here's what gets released. First of all, uh, what gets released is that we begin to express the nature of our Father and His DNA, which is in us. His DNA, which is in us. There's spiritual authority that takes place in that moment. And, and the way, we, we obviously have to ask ourselves, what's behind the rage? Right? What is behind the rage in our society? What is the rage behind where people are reacting? Fear, loss of control, but let's not react back with fear. Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy. He said that God has not given us what a spirit of fear. He hasn't given that to us, but what instead? Power, love, and a sound mind. 1 John 4, 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So I think that when we can respond to the rage, cultivating a godly response, the first thing that it's going to do is it's going to express the nature of the Father. The second thing that it's going to do is it's going to clear the atmosphere. Ever been in a situation where you're encountering rage, you come in with a godly response, and what happens in the atmosphere? We sing that song, don't we? <laughs> the atmosphere is changing now. When the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around that the Spirit of the Lord is here. 
And then, and then the line goes on, the song goes on, overflow in this place, and here's the key part, fill our hearts with your love. Overflow in this place, fill our hearts with your love. That's a key to a godly response. It's not encountering the rage saying, and God, fill them with, you know, with your love. It's no, fill me with your love then I can give a godly response and I can have the atmosphere and see the atmosphere through you change. See the difference? So who's it incumbent upon in order to to bring about a change in the atmosphere? You know, the woman who was caught in adultery, you know, of course it doesn't say that, you know, there was a man also that needed to... uh, the woman caught in adultery, you know, they're, they're feigning this rage and indignation. They're ready to pounce. And what is Jesus doing, right? He's drawing, you know, twiddling around in the dirt, right? You know, and then, he, of course, that line that we know, it's like, hey, you know, he, he, if you're without sin, go ahead, right? Throw the first stone, and everybody kind of drops their rocks, and, you know, and on they move. What did he do? A godly response to a raging moment change the atmosphere and and here's what Steve talked about and what did it do it led to an encounter that Jesus had with this woman do you see how that works so we have this opportunity don't we where we can respond in a godly way have it change the atmosphere and then invite an encounter to take place I think that's pretty good Uh, when we take the bait, um, we engage the rage. <laughs> it's really an encounter killer is what it is. Um, we, we were praying uh, in the prayer room this morning. Uh, one of the th- things that we had prayed about was, uh, th- that and, and what we've been talking about from the book of Malachi is um, that, the, that the hearts of our, of our younger generation would be turned to God, that they would follow him, and, and we're just kind of praying into that today. And, and the thought at the time is, you know, preparing for this kind of hit me. You know what? I thought, you know what will kill that is a passive-aggressive religious response will get picked up by a youth generation, and they're like, I want no part of that. So it's a godly response rather than a religious response rather than a passive-aggressive response, it's a kingdom response. And sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we don't. Um, you know, Christmas is coming, and, uh, you know, all sorts of fine family dynamics in play, and um, perhaps there'll be opportunity for you in the next couple of weeks, and for me, <laughs> to choose in that moment and to remember this moment you know, Gary talked about, uh, we may not remember all of what happened, but I'm hoping that maybe the Holy Spirit would remind you of this moment, that uh, rather than engaging the rage um, to uh, cultivate a godly response. And uh, here's, here's something else, though, just a final thought here, and that is this. What happens when I'm on a 19-pound bike going down the road, engaging the rage with somebody who's in a 3,000-pound or 4,000-pound or 5,000-pound vehicle. And sometimes we attempt to engage the rage 
we react rather than responding, and who ends up paying the greatest price? Man, have we seen that play out in the last couple of years. We spend our time engaging the rage, and then what happens? We're the ones who feel depleted and broken and hurting in the, in the midst of it, rather than engaging the rage. Um, last, I, last thing, and so we're not going to engage the rage. Uh, and uh, last thing, the lesson that I've learned, and, and um, among many, really. I think I've talked about this a little bit, and that is um, it's the gift of drafting, which is really the gift of friendship. And so here's the way that it works, that if I'm riding my bike um, on, a, on a flat road, and I'm going approximately 30 kilometers an hour, okay, if you can follow the math here for a moment, I'm, I'm going 30 kilometers an hour on a, on a straight road, 80% of the resistance that I'm facing at that moment, 80% is the wind coming at me. The other 20% is of, of the resistance is based on the clothing. That's why we wear spandex and lycra <laughs> to cut that resistance to make ourselves feel, you know, <laughs> anyway, I won't go there. Um, <laughs> uh, your tires, uh, y your bike's geometry, you know, that's all the other 20%. 80% is the wind coming at you. That's the resistance. Uh, I would call that the headwinds of life. As you're just kind of riding down the road, just doing the regular thing on the flats, 80% of what's coming at you, I would say, is the headwinds of life. It happens for all of us. Whether um, just by getting out of bed, you know, you're going to be facing challenge with the headwinds of life. If you have one rider with you, one person who's with you on this journey of the headwinds of life, and they tuck in behind where you are riding, there is immediately a 27% reduction in the, uh, in the, there's a 27% reduction in the restrictive force that you are feeling. 27%, if there's one person that's with you. If you add a third or a fourth riders and you're riding in a line, those third and fourth ones have a 35% reduction in their restrictive force. Now, this is completely unscientific, and I'm going to take some analytical license, but I think this is a great picture of friendship. That when we have a friend, a spouse, someone who cares for us, and we are doing this journey of life, and we tuck in at times behind their wheel, it's just going to be a little easier. And then it's like, you know what? Let me now take a turn out front, and you can tuck in behind me. And then as we're riding, we do some line riding at times, and one person's on the front, and you know we know the whole thing with the geese and all that, the Canada geese, but it just reduces the, the restrictive force that is facing us every day. We're, 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 the power of doing it together, this shared experience, not making about, about us, but rather we're inviting other people into the process, how important it is for us to be able to do this life together rather than doing it independently. And when I say that, oftentimes in marriage, couples, especially men, but, you know, we can even tend in those relationships to find ourselves doing life, on, trying to do it on our own.
back to Shakespeare. Um, um, I think I've quoted this before. Um, <laughs> I saw this on a rugby shirt. Uh, for he today who sheds his blood with me, for he shall be called my brother. Um, maybe, probably very few of you watch college football, but um, in Division I college football, uh, there are 130 teams of Div, of Div I college football in the United States. Guess they, they've started a few years ago. They started to do the playoffs. They, you can go to the playoffs now. They have a playoff. Guess how many teams out of 130 make the playoffs? Does anyone know? Four. Four out of 130. It's a great honor. You can go to a bowl game and some other things. It's a great honor to make the playoffs. This week, this team qualified for the playoffs, and one of the players on the team that qualified said, sorry guys, I'm quitting the team. They're like, what? He's like, yep, I'm one of the, they're like, you're our best player. And he's like, I know I'm the best player, and in four months from now is the NFL draft, and I don't want to get injured playing in this game, and so I'm leaving the team because I can sign a big contract, and if I roll my ankle or hurt my knee or bust my shoulder, that's it. Sorry, I'm out. And the team is just like, but you're our guy. And he's like, Going for the money. I don't think he had that phrase on his, somewhere on his t-shirt. But it speaks of, uh, it just speaks of this place that we can arrive at where it becomes much more about us and what we can gain from something as opposed to what is it and who is it that I'm doing this life with. You know, Jesus talked about the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. John chapter 15, quoted this morning on the video, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command. This quote I like, I saw, your friends are like treasures. Take care of them. If all you can do for a friend is simply show up, then do so. Just being there is an act of friendship. It's one of the things that I get to practice in my job. We call it ministry, ministry presence. We just show up. I, I work at the ledge. I do some chaplaincy there. And uh, just by showing up every day that they're there, I've had many MLA comment, you know, and I see them and visit them and stuff, and they say, this is what they've said, countless have just said, I just see you up there every day, and it just makes me feel good knowing that you're there and that you're praying for us and that you're supporting us. Just, just by showing up just by showing up. I hesitated whether to, uh, I'm just almost finished here. Um, um, I, I hesitated whether to talk about this or not because sometimes it, it's just, this is just really practical. Can I just throw out something just really practical? Because here's what happens when we talk about friendship. If, we're, if we have honest conversations about friendship, some people will say, you know what? Making friends is hard. <laughs> And keeping friends is hard, or I start down a friendship road and then, and then it doesn't work, or I feel like, you know, it's just, it's difficult. And so I was thinking about that, and I just wanted to throw out a couple of things. And, and, you know, I didn't read it anywhere, I just, you know, just landed. And so I just call this thing friendship. There's just three things here. And that is, the first one is, this is really super practical. I hope it's okay, don't get offended. Um, but the first one is, in friendship, do the math. 
do the math. That if you meet with somebody and you're connecting over coffee and there's just two of you, that 50%, you know, 50% of the conversation is you talking. And 50% of the conversation is them talking. And if you're together with four or five people, 20, 25% of the conversation might be yours and, and listening around the room. And when I say that, it's because um, what happens is, is that sometimes what, what is a friendship buster is if somebody just dominates the conversation and, and, and the other person who is receiving it is listening, you know, but they're, they're just feeling overwhelmed by it. And so it's, I, I just feel like sometimes it's very simple, but just, you know, I, d I just think that we need to do the math. Um, this I, th the art of asking questions is just so important in friendship. And, and it's not the first question, it's the second question. Because I'll tell you why. Because the first question I think most of us would understand, and we, most of us get, you know, the idea of like, how are you? Like, hey, so how are you doing? But the second question is listening to what they're saying, hearing that, and then from that place actually commenting on that, as opposed to, well, now that they're talking, I'm formulating the next thing for me to talk about. You know, this difference between active listening, which seeks to understand rather than reply, no fixing, just listening, versus critical listening, which is understanding, but evaluating, judging, forming an opinion. That may be in professional environment. That might be at times when it's asked of us. But the vast majority of friendships, what are people looking for is active listening. And just being a friend by listening and showing up and being there. Just the last thought here, and that is, it's what I've called no pedal to the metal, and, or foot off the gas. And, and that is at times in friendships, we're so desiring, and it's good to share our hearts and all of that, that we can completely overwhelm people. And, and we're just pedal to the metal the whole time. And by doing so, after one or two or three times, people are like, oh my goodness, they're so intense. And at times, I'm not suggesting that we just talk about the Canucks and the weather. But there are times that in a relationship, we can talk about the birds. <laughs> And we can talk about just life and what God is speaking and, and not, you know. And so, you know, again, I hesitate in this, but I, I just feel like it, it was for some, someone today. Just um, that, that we would, this is what I was thinking, and that is, you know, we called ourselves a missional community. We've heard it said before that a family is all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. I think that there's a key to this for us, that if we want to fulfill our mission, that we're going to have to learn how to be good friends together and outside of these walls. Hearing and listening and empathizing and caring opens doors for relationship and connection. As opposed to, at times, yes, you know, like the old evangelist said, you know, I just hit him between the eyes and get out of town. I get that. You know, at times that's okay. You know, you're, you're out sitting with somebody on a plane. Man, I'm never going to meet them again. Here it comes, man. It's going to blast you with the gospel. You know, I get it. But the vast majority of friendships and connections that we're going to have to bring about the transformation is going to take place when we, with empathetic hearts, with caring ears are going to be able to build friendships with people because, as that old saying goes, when you have a conversation or you meet somebody, they may not remember their name, you may not even remember what you said, but they're going to remember how you made them feel.
and we can engage at that level. So the gift of the hills, we really can build endurance and strength through adversity. The gift of road rage, cultivating godly responses in the midst of people's stuff. And the gift of drafting, that we're in this together and that we're going to care for one another and take some of the pressure off the winds and the trade winds and, and the winds of life. So that's what we've got today. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.